Talk. This is a weekly-ish motorcycle podcast about motorcycles, life, the universe, and everything. I am your host, Shaheen, the Shah of Brap Alvandi. I'm never going to say that again. And uh, the person giggling next to me is the beautiful, long-haired, glasses-wearing, pink conchonclo-wearing, Quentin motherfucking Wilson. Uh, good evening. I guess do it. Do we say good evening? Because what if they're not listening in the evening? I mean, if you say good evening, you better say good day, mate. Count Dracula voice. Oh yeah. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. <laughs> I am Count Dracula. Um, I'm listen. We've been sticking to it. I know it's pretty good. We've been we've been putting it out. <laughs> <laughs> we put out well. We put out real well, man. You know, we, you know when Quentin and I put our minds to it, we put out, and we do that for you, all forty-eight listener, listeners. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the number's growing. Last week it was thirteen. <laughs> uh, we are sitting in the the space over my garage, as Anne likes to call it, the frog. The frog furnished room over garage. Oh, nice frog. Yeah. Write to me, we at gmail dot com if you got one. In fact, send me a picture. Of it. I'm curious to see how your. <laughs> we want to see all your frogs. Fro- show me your frogs, ribbit. Um, if you have a pet frog, I actually would be more interested in that. So ooh. if you just be like, hey, CCQ on this one. If you have a picture of your pet frog, I'd be I'd be so happy. Um, I would I would really love for you to send that to me. There's a uh, a woman that has a company in the Northeast. She is a car person that's into Saabs and Porsches. That's amazing. She's really cool. I think her name's Sydney. Anyway, she has like she'll make bumper stickers and random stuff. Her company's called Ohot. One hell of a town. And one of her stickers is Milf. Man, I love frogs. <laughs> and it's awesome. Right? Maybe, maybe so, she means fr- furnished rooms over garage. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, right? Oh, the man. Northeast has got to have a lot of that. All right, so we wrap talk at gmail.com. Send us your frog, whether it's a furnished room over a garage or, you know, a little amphibian. <laughs> <laughs> we want to see what it looks like. Okay, so in the previous episode, uh, we asked dear listeners to give us some questions and, you know, whatever they want us to talk about and we'll keep doing this so make sure you write to us and tell us your feelings and what you want to hear about or not hear about and maybe we'll talk about that just to be ourselves but <laughs> there was the thing that kept coming up and it's maintenance motorcycle maintenance and sort of the the i don't know the the thing you don't know about um i think a lot of people as we described in previous episodes are hobbyists at best you know they ride maybe like 2000 3000 miles a year and they forget about that two-wheeled thing that has needs in the garage that sat for like four or five months, especially if you live above the 45th parallel mm-hmm. and you deal with seasons. And I don't know, maybe you're a you know, fair-weather rider. I'm not, I'm not trying to kink-shame you. If you only like riding during the sun, that's okay. Sometimes those bikes actually need more right. than the ones that get ridden consistently. I think, I think that's actually the case. So, Quentin, you have... A lot of experience in service. That is that is your thing. That has been my it's life. Your, it's, for a, it's, it's your life. It's your lifestyle. Twenty five years. <laughs> that is commitment, right there. <laughs> um, so, let's have you describe. Let, let's kind of start simple. What do you think is the basic shit people should talk about when it comes to the Zen of motorcycle maintenance in your home? And what you should do, just the basics. Like, yeah. assume somebody doesn't have a Craftsman yeah, yeah, sure. roller, right? Yeah. So, go. Let's see what you got. First off, good tire pressure gauge multiples. You should have one that takes with you. You should want to have one at home. And you should verify that they both have about the same pressure when you 
right from one to the other right do you care if it's digital or not no i'm actually not a fan of digital because then you have to worry about batteries right so yes it's awesome to have that if you're keeping on a track of it but then the one time you go to use it especially if you're a fair weather person yeah then it's going to be dead and that's frustrating straight up and i know this is funny the stick style old oh. school like, like like napa auto part i have seen more, more consistency maybe not in the napa 99 cent but there's a company called Dill that makes really good ones. There's a few of them that are. Is it out. a big deal or a little deal? It's, it's a big deal. <laughs> let me tell you. Um, there's a there's a few of them out there that are great, and you do have to know that sometimes you're going to get cheap. Also, be careful that you don't get one that's just low pressure because you'll get it and you'll think you're awesome, and then it boops out all the way and it says 20 psi oh, at the extreme, and it, the whole thing stuck because it's made for low I didn't pressure. Actually, that was a thing. Yeah, it is. And then there's high pressure ones that go like to up to 100. Well, you're not you're not going to get good enough resolution. Right. You need the one that kind of is in the middle or whatever. So that's definitely something I would do, and that's something you need to check often. Do I check it every time I ride? No. But I'm also in tune. Like, I can tell when my bike... Yeah, even, you ride all the time. You know what's up with that thing. And for many decades. So that helps. And then you know your bike really well. Or your tires. Sometimes tires just feel funky. Like, I'm on a set of golden tire knobbies on this uh, Africa Twin that I'm on. <laughs> on and, today's weather. And Yeah. And they're just squishy. And they're always squishy. So every once in a while, I will check them just because my brain's like, this feels off. And I'm like, no, that's fine. They're just squishy tires. This is marshmallow squish, not tire squish. Exactly. Straight up. Where Whereas if you had a set of, I don't know, Dunlop anything that have a stiff carcass, then then they can kind of like you can get pretty low in PSI in those and you might not notice it. Pirelli with a super soft cart, depending on the tire, right? All, all tires. Right. I'm not, I shouldn't say a manufacturer when I say that. I would say stiff carcass or, or uh, stiff sidewalls or whatever the thing is. Anyway, tires for sure. First thing first. Check them because that's the first thing that's uh, you're going to be able to tell if there's a nail or something in it. And that's super dangerous to be riding around with a tire that is losing pressure or that has something in it that when you're going down the freeway flies out and makes causes you to lose pressure fast. Oh yeah, sudden burst. Yeah. Not even a sudden burst, but quick like purgeish. Yeah, purge. Purge. So <laughs> I wish you could check tire pressure like you check the doneness of a steak. Yeah, right. Just poke at it. Well, you can. <laughs> and again, if you get used to being able you take your your hands put your four fingers on either side of the tire and push your thumbs in. This you is should really good do for that. A podcast to make physical. I know. I'm like, we're doing the thing. <laughs> we're doing and the thing. Can you imagine what you it looks can't like? See this? Where it looks like we're squishing a butt. <laughs> yeah, we are. The, the butt of a tire. <laughs> it is. Mm. All right. Okay. That's enough of that. Okay. So, bottom line is, if, that. F- fill up your tire. If it's at the pressure that's recommended, and, and this is, goes all over the place. Yeah. Can, we can't. I don't even want to go down well, that rabbit hole. We're gonna have a whole podcast. Yeah, and just tire pressure. Tire pressures. Uh, and feel what that feels like, Quentin. Yeah. Oh God, no. Feel the feel the tire. That way you kind of know what it feels like when it's turgid, right? <laughs> then if it is low before, feel it. Like if yeah. you go to your tire and it's like March and you're like, man, I haven't ridden in three months. Tires are flat-ish. Put your thumbs on it. Feel what that feels like before you fill it up. That way you know and you can always check quickly. Do you have, and this is asked of me a thousand times, so I'm going to ask of you. Do you have a specific tire pressure range that you yeah. go for for the street bike? 
Yeah, I do, but it varies so much with my stuff because I run so many knobbly, off-roady, right. adventure tires. Right. But to be honest with you, they're all about the same, and it's ba- it's basically 30-30. 30-30. If you go wrong. I, I, you literally cannot go wrong. Yeah. If, you're, if you're just trying to be like, I just need to be safe, I can't get this pressure perfect, just go 30-30 yeah. on a street bike. On dirt bikes, it's like 15-15. Yeah, I mean, when you're right. off-road. That's a different world. Squish right. that thing. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I've heard people have the argument of higher PSI for longer, oh, that's, higher life. And you know what? Generally, this you got to be careful. It's very true. Yeah. Not only the real tire life, but certain tires. Like if you say, hey, I have a had now, blah, blah, blah. I can't remember which other ones, but there's BMW a couple of them. tractor tire. Well, but when they, they are built yeah. for like super high PSI and they absolutely work better at like, if I had the, uh, sorry, Hide now. I A think they're called scout. scouts. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And if I had those on, they need to be at 38 psi, no and they're happy. As for me, on my big ass 500, 600 pound wildebeest bike, right? But it might differ if you had those same tires on a KLR 650. And I'm going to bring up KLRs because they deserve As it. As you should. They do yeah. deserve it. Yeah. They're motorcycles too. They are. KLR lives matter. <laughs> All right, so that's tire pressure. That's first and foremost. Okay. Next is chains. If you don't have a chain because you have a shaft drive, fair enough. Great. Right? Move on. Check. Make sure your fluid is correct, and you rarely ever have to deal with that. It's like every twenty or 30,000 miles of yeah. shaft-driven bikes. Right. Unless you do a lot of wheelies, then chances are it's going to blow up. Which you should do a lot of wheelies. Yeah, well, you should. <laughs> um, chain, for sure. This is like... Clean lube and adjust. And the clean part is what most people ignore. They just keep adding on um, a goo, and the goo attracts yeah. dirt, and then it becomes a paste, and then wears out the chain very quickly. So cleaning the chain is just as important. I straight up, and this a lot of people are going to hate on it, I just use WD-40. It's easy. I have it in my garage. Yeah. I put it on a rag. I don't spray it on the chain first. Correct. And then I clean off. I have a scrub brush, one of those grunge brushes or something like that. You can find them on Amazon even now. Yep. And they're not that expensive. They clean three different sides at one time. I put it on the upper and I put it on the lower and I just spin and spin and spin. You ever seen the little spirally one that you can kind of like wrap around your chain? No, that sounds fancy. I did. I got one of those and it's interesting because as you roll the tire, you know, on, on yeah, the, it does it automatically. It kind of pushes the, it against the chain yeah, guard yeah. and it just kind of hits all sides of your chain. I would, I, do you have that here? I had one in Florida and I lost it. I got to get Florida. Florida. It'd be interesting to see it. I tend to stay away from things with lots of, too many parts that break. Right. Right. And uh, this I, is a simple m- metal spring essentially with the, you the know, brushes, the brushes all on the inside. And uh, now I'm, we're going to have to look this up. I have to. Okay. It's, it's so neat. All right. So. You can buy a kit, a cleaner, a, yeah. a, a, what is it? It's like a cleaner, a penetrator, and a, and a wax, essentially. Sure. Which, you know, if you don't want to use WD-40, fine, go spend money. No, on and it. I'm not saying I'm using WD-40 to lube. That's only to, to clean, clean it. Right? Because it's basically, it's essentially kerosene-based. It's kerosene and water. WD means water displacement. Right. It's great stuff. It works very well, especially to clean grungy nasty uh greasy stuff right frankly it's it's better than a lot of the um commercially available uh things that are cleaners quote unquote that you could clean an engine bay with yeah but it's been around for a long time they know what they're doing with yep, this shit. so there's that and then i lube i use pj1 blue label i use motorex i love pj1s pj1s <laughs> what is the pj1 branding i, I like their stuff. Yeah, yeah sure it's good yeah and uh, there's blue label black label i use the blue label 
I think I have black label now. I don't is care. One, is, if, is one like more dense? I don't remember. Color? It's basically if it's PJ1, I'm happy. Yeah. I am not that particular. It's more important that you're doing it. I've used chain wax. How often? But that doesn't seem, for me, that doesn't seem as good as a lot of the lubes. I feel like chain wax is good if your bike is sitting for a long time. I agree. Like in a showroom it's, floor It's or better than nothing for sure. Yeah. It does it cover the steel. when you ride it. It can do. It depends on all these kings do. This is the problem. Yeah. Is a lot of people get poopy because they've put on chain lube and it flings everywhere. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's going to happen, yeah. right? It's part of the joys of riding a motorcycle. Yeah, and it's a huge thing for multiple reasons. Uh, mainly because it's right there. And this is the type of involved. So going back to the whole, which is motorcycles as far as maintenance relative to cars, we have we are now 20 years on into basically what I've called like iPod society, where people expect their consumer products to just come out of the package, open up, plug in, and it does the thing. Right. Right. And we've seen this, especially with the current generation. They're used to it. They're desensitized to having weird stuff that yeah. might not work exactly that might need a little fiddling and setup and a lot of motorcycles are like that they they come out of the box and they're fine but inherent to what you're doing with them because they have exposed mechanical things whether it be the wheels the chain even the engine there it's out in the elements it's they're manufactured that way they're designed that way that's great they're way better than anything from the say, 70s or 80s but, but still it's they're the still yeah exposed right. and I would say because a lot of them are performance, then they get stressed a little bit higher than your normal vehicle. So, you know, that's a part of it. But that even, you know, say a, a Harley Road King rider with a belt drive uh, just cruising down the highway going 55 all its life and they put on, you know, iron butt level, that it's going to need just as much, yep. right? It's not like it's just because they're high performance. The high performance part comes with like major maintenance. So it's not necessarily applicable to what we're doing. Things I see often though are for people that are just kind of going in and out and riding their bike every once in a while, mm -hmm. infrequent tires, chain and uh, lubing levers, lubing cables. That alone, it, usually what would happen is somebody come into the shop, they come in for full service, and it wasn't the valve adjustment you did. It wasn't the synchronizing the throttle bodies that was awesome. It wasn't any part that made the bike truly the better. Wear and tear. It was the just lubing the braking clutch lever, and all of a sudden they're like, oh, my gosh, this feels so much better, <laughs> right? What did you do to my clutch, right? That you know, And or setting the, the tension correctly on your clutch, knowing how to do that correctly. Mm -hmm looking in your mantle and reading that or knowing that uh, your your clutch fluid if you have a hydraulic system knowing that you have to maintain that as well uh hydraulic uh fluids that would be the next thing after lubing the lever and stuff is changing that stuff fairly often at least once a year if not a couple times and that also would depend on usage so if you're a sport bike person you do track days you might want to flush your brake fluid at least once during the year during a track day year right Absolutely. um it's hydroscopic. It, it soaks up water. That gets in and starts screwing with the whole system. Mm -hmm. Not a lot, but enough. It, it's not just color. You can sometimes see that it's like dark, but a lot of the times it just needs to be changed. Cars as well. And this is an often uh, overlooked thing. Those are... Those are the main things that you can have the most effect with. And you're like, well, what do I do? You'd, you'd have to be mechanical enough to say, okay, I need a flathead screwdriver and a 10-millimeter wrench, and I'm going to unbolt this lever, and then I'm going to clean it, and then I'm going to go buy grease. You know, So yeah. it's like how much commitment? Not a lot. Enough, though, that you could maybe do some of this with the existing toolkits, but uh, nowadays not many bikes come with a toolkit that's I mean, sufficient. The average dealership you know, door rate 
in service is somewhere between 180 to 220 dollars an hour depending Jeez, on is it now it is high man, oh, oh, man. everything's more yeah. expensive right Every, yeah. the cost of living is higher so everyone's charging more money yeah and we get people that come not just to my shop i talk to my peers in the industry that sell hondas and they have the same thing where you know joe Schmo who hasn't turned on his whatever gold wing in three months because it's been rainy and shitty suddenly goes out and you know it's it's Something's wrong. Something doesn't sound quite right. This is stiff. The tire is low. Hey, what the fuck? And then, typically, this happens in like February or March. Let's, let's go early March. Yeah. You know, the weather's changing a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. But that means the bike has not been regularly fiddled with in a couple of months. And it's just sat there. And so now they come to a dealership and go hey, I need to get this taken care of. And they forget that that dealership services several thousand other people. Yeah. And a lot of those other people are also going, oh, shit. There's the normal spring rush, right? right? Yeah. Or, you know, like we had last week, we had this beautiful 60 degrees oh, yeah. February day, <laughs> yeah. early February one day. And suddenly everybody, we had a little thing at the shop. I was making tacos out front, having a good time. A ton of people were riding. I saw 100-something riders show up. And... A lot of them were like, hey, do you think I can get into service and do this and that? It's like, yes, but act quickly. Yeah, right. Because sure. as you see, the weather's getting better. But you could learn a lot of these basic maintenance stuff. A, save yourself some money. B, become intimate with your bike and get to know some of its functions for your own sake. If something goes awry when you're in the middle of nowhere riding around on a, you know, if you're riding from here to the beach or something. I wear an awry. You do wear a awry. I like awry. I, I want something to go awry. I, do. I want something to go awry real well. <laughs> um, that's a good awry. So <laughs> if if I feel like if you learn some of this basic stuff, it's funny as a dealership principal saying this, it'll save you some money because then you don't oh, have 100%, to go. 100%. Sure. And you can just handle your thing yourself and become more knowledgeable about the vehicle that you're riding. And like you said, it a motorcycle does require a little more fiddling because it is – a rattly, shaky, hot, cold, you know, everything affects it, a di you know, in a different way. Those are all very solid points. Speaking of, he absolutely was right relative to the the vibrations from a motorcycle engine relative to a very tight package. Mm -hmm. The heat cycles, which it just is different than on a car. It, it's the same thing, but it just means more. So different. Right? And it's hard to explain how that works, but that's the way. Going back to your point about the service thing, you're like, well, I'm a dealer, so I should let these people uh, not work on their bikes yeah, and please, then screw up. It, it makes more money for me if you don't. <laughs> well, but that's the question. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think the more people are out riding their motorcycles and putting miles on them, yep. the more the dealerships will benefit. So if we can teach more people to do the basic stuff, then oh, they're uh, yeah. riding more. I agree 100%. Then they're going to need the major services and oh. the oil changes and the other, whatever it is. Maybe they just, maybe they want to do their own things, but they just don't want to touch a shock or well, a We forks. as a dealership don't do, make that much money on an hour no. or two hour no. service. I would rather redo your transmission because you've put 15,000 miles on there or rebuild your shocks for like five or six hours. But you're not a Harley dealer. You don't need to do that. That's fair. I don't. <laughs> it's just some people. No, but what you're saying, I mean, it's her hyperbole to say right, transmission, right. and but forks and shock, something mm -hmm. that most people would not do, but is absolutely necessary. That would be the first thing that I would mention. On the these are things you need to pay attention to that you normally don't, and you probably aren't going to buy the tools and have the wherewithal to to 
to replace the oil in your forks and shock, right. specifically the shock. But that's the first thing that I would look at as an end user that like, hey, what what can I do that will improve my riding experience that I'm going to have to outlay cash for? That would be the first thing for yeah. sure. I think oftentimes when it, the question comes up of, hey, what should I do about ABC on a motorcycle? I have to remind myself, especially as a, as a dealership, there are a wide spectrum of riders out there from just, let's just call it from a mechanical technical ability. Yeah. yeah. You know, on one side, you've got Quentin Wilson, right? You can likely work on just about anything mechanical on a motorcycle with a fair amount of confidence and aptitude. And then there's just someone who has just never done any of that. They, they, they're excited about riding a motorcycle. And so oftentimes when I have these conversations, I think of that person, the person who sure. has never, let's just say they've never turned a, a, a screwdriver in their life. Yep. And it's, I'm thinking at the shop, I want to do a sort of like maintenance 101, just basic. Super basic. I yeah. love 101 shit so much, like our adventure 101 yeah, class. Yeah, no, makes sense. It's like maintenance 101, how to do the basic shit and what do you need to get for this? Because when you buy a motorcycle from us, especially if you're a beginner, we're going to tell you about helmets, jackets, yeah. gloves, boots, yeah. what, what fucking underwear to wear. Like, we want you to succeed. And so part of the success is probably, let's just teach you maintenance 101. I know to some people, especially some dealers that listen to this, they're bristling like, come on, dude, don't give away the recipe. We're not. If I can teach you how to check your tire pressure, how to clean your chain, yeah. how to set up your suspension a little bit, how to you know work with your... It makes the, the riding experience better. You can't imagine, well, you do, you, know, you do it every day. <laughs> imagine all the people that come in, if you could just, just have a spreadsheet with a check that said, somebody complaining about how their bike isn't handling well, right. it was tire pressures. Yep. Somebody's complaining about acceleration and deceleration, bad shifting, and it's the chain. Mm -hmm. This is a big deal, right? Big, big deal. A lot of people think immediately, like, oh, man, something's wrong with my bike. It's not shifting crisp and clean, and it's just the chain has gotten loose, or the engine oil has just gotten because the clutch actually makes a huge difference. It's just tired. So, so you need to change the oil. That nice thick oil will then make the shifting that much clickier. It depends on the bike. Not all bikes have that same thing, but that's an example of basic maintenance stuff that improves the ride and or the safety, especially with tires. Tires is like critical. Brakes, a hundred percent, but. You just don't have to do those that often enough for I'm like, hey, dude, this is a huge problem. Right. Right. But that's like with the with the suspension, that's a similar one. And a lot of younger, sorry, less experienced riders, they say burn through the rear brake because they're not used to using the front. Yeah, Something like that. That happens a lot. So you, these are the types of things that you would make mention of to, to beginner riders because they're going to be – um, they just constantly do that. That's a very common problem. Totally. And then you'll get into like running condition issues. Well, if somebody comes in, hey, this bike's stalling. We would see this a lot. There's a lot of problems with stalling in general. That's kind of in the past 20 years of uh, extreme lean running to suit the Environmental Protection Agency or California Air Resources Board tests these machines. It's carb for you, sir. Right. So they need to be lean as popcorn farts, as I would say, <laughs> uh, to, to pass the emissions, <clears throat> which means that they definitely don't run well at low RPMs and low throttle positions where a lot of the beginners are riding. So yep. then they don't ride in a specific manner that will keep them from stalling. And I, it sounds crazy that, that it, it would be a, a rider-induced error, and especially as a 
a, a new rider, you get real frustrated. No, it can't be me. It's got to be the bike. <laughs> but it, it often is. So figuring out how to say that to people has been always a bit of a difficult one. It's not that common anymore, but I know it happens, right? It does. It does. It's You know, it's funny. When Ann and I were doing her little exercise last week, she stalled the bike a handful of times. And it made me think about the stress a motorcycle goes through with a less experienced rider. Oh, man, huge. Absolutely. Because they're feathering clutch more. Everything gets beat up. Everything. More than you would expect. Yeah, and as a a new rider, as an inexperienced rider, you should be empowered to know how to kind of maintain the bike a little bit so you're not as stressed about it. And I feel like we as experienced riders, the collective we that are listening and are talking right now, we should help them with that. That that allows us to have a growing base that's not scared of riding motorcycles. And it takes away the stigma of, like, the machismo of, oh, I'm a man. I don't have to turn wrenches. Like, fuck off, dude. Let's teach people how to do this thing. Everybody should have this power. I mean, there so, should be no gatekeeping to tools. None. Right? And then, I think it's a traditional. It's a 10 millimeter tool, in which case, you know. I, I have been taking pictures of every one of my 10 millimeter. I have an abundance of 10 millimeters. What? Yeah, yeah. Are I you think, the one that has them all? I think I am. <gasps> there was a point where I'm like, I have the 10 millimeter socket from my original Craftsman set that I had when I was in high school. That's I have amazing. my original snap-ons that I got from when you bought the kit when I went to MMI. <laughs> so I was looking because I was like, why do people lose? I've lost tools, but it's so weird. when you, Like, you can literally buy a kit of 10-millimeter, yeah. Oh, yeah. like, sockets. I saw one deep, of those gold. Thin. Oh, yeah, I bet you did. Mm, uh, I'm surprised you didn't. I did order it. I time. almost bought you a stapler. I was in Michael's with Jamie the other day, and we were. Just, I was just there kind of checking out because <laughs> I, I will go through, and places like that can hold little gems. Oh, you never know. Oh, yeah. I ended up buying a little organizer, hot pink, awesome. I'll put nice. car parts in it, right? But <laughs> I saw gold, a, a gold stapler. Again, it's like I would just heads up. I want that. I know, and I just was. Why do I? I hate buying cheap shit, <laughs> right? From right, you know what I mean? It was like a conflicting I don't know thing. The last time I used a stapler, but I would make it a point. That was the that thing. One. I was like, <laughs> am I absolutely buying this useless thing? But because yeah, I, I have a printer I, that staples for me, so it's like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we need to find gold staples. Is what we need. <laughs> and that way, you know, I am it so was, Amazon. was here. Holy shit. Brass, even brass, right? Just, brass to, just fine. to have the right? nickel plate. That shit. Give me something. Give me a little gold hue. <laughs> Okay, so you had said a long time ago, I actually was listening to two enthusiasts back in the day, and one of my favorite uh, things that you said for people to do on a track day, on a bike that they're about to take track riding was, and I've said this, by the way, I've repeated this so many times and I've given you credit every time, wash the bike. Oh, man. Get on your hands and knees and wash this fucking bike. Oh, dude. Touch every bit of it. Take all your fairings off. Right. Yeah. I need to do that currently to my adventure bike. The thing is, it has like an exoskeleton cage on it. Right. And a lot of that is adventure cosplay, but it has saved my, (laughs) my fairings a bit. You know, that said, because I've you know tipped over a few times in the dirt, and that's the way it goes. Anyway. It's part of the cosplay. you got to look real, man. Right? Exactly. It's all scratched up, so I have the street cred. So... Because of that, it makes it difficult to wash. Like, it's at the point, though, where I'm like, I, I can wash it like three times yeah. without taking it off. <laughs> and it's kind of like, you know, taking the shower and then putting on the underwear again. It's kind of like that. Whereas, like, now I need to do the full, like, yeah. um, we're talking, at, like, if you have an adventure bike, take your belly pan off, your crash skid plate thing. Take it, like, get it to where you can look 
at all the cracks and crevices. This goes for dirt bikes and street bikes. Fairings coming off of sport bikes. It's intimidating, yes, but that's something you absolutely used to it. should know how to do. It's, yeah. It is complicated, but there are, I would say, with YouTube University out there. Listen, man, I've learned so much. It's a huge boon for everybody and anybody that does anything. Like, even if it's problematic for somebody that doesn't know what they're doing and they watch a YouTube person because there's a lot of BS out there. <laughs> but even if it's just seeing how something comes apart yep. and knowing, you know, maybe I'm not going to trust the way that person tightens bolts or says, oh, I don't need a torque wrench or whatever the thing is. That's tough. This is my biggest problem with showing people anything on YouTube is that there is a metric shit ton of bad information. Yeah, take it with a grain of something or another. But it's, it's super helpful for me. It was like, hey, I need to find out what I need to remove the fuel tank from my Ford F-150. And I go on and I watch some yokel, some awful mechanic that every time he does anything, I'm like, want to crawl through the screen and just shake him silly i'm like why but at least then i see how it happens right. i'm like okay i won't do the that placement of the bolt right the that's all i'm looking for <laughs> so that's a, that's a thing so if you had a say a 959 is that is that one of the panigale okay so yeah. panigale 959 i get confused if it was like 969 it'd be way better right Ooh, that would be super sexy <laughs> right? I, want, maybe, I want to get a 959 and see if i can bore it out to exactly 969 right i think you need to stroke the it license plate to gaty yeah you need to stroke it in order Dude, to get that CC right. CC Coffee has a shirt right now that says Bored and Stroked. <laughs> I need that. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. I know. I'm going to buy one. Uh, I told Tor that last time I saw him. Like, he's like, just take one. I'm like, you don't have one my size. Oh, that's so it. good. It's like the Hinterland Empire has one. This is another local coffee, coffee company, shop, but it's yeah. made, but that is owned by awesome people. Um, she has one that says not a good corporate fit, oh, which, which is like, I love her shit. Exactly me so much. Like, I can do the thing, but boy, am I not a good I corporate fit. I need to fit. get you one from her for your truck that says you yeed your last haw. This is true. <laughs> this is fucking perfect. This, this, this truck has yeeted its last haw. Yeah. Yeed your last haw. Yeeted my last haw. <laughs> I'll be yeeting my last hog here soon, though, right? It's true. You will be. <laughs> you'll, you'll be yeeting a lot of hogs <laughs> up, in, up in Vance and Heinz land. <laughs> um, okay, so, yeah, let's go, let's go down this, uh, this maintenance tirade. What are your thoughts on, you know, like, ooh, I almost asked you about oil changes. I don't want to go down that lane. What are your thoughts on annual maintenances, right? Because a lot of times the book would be like, change your oil every 9,000 miles or once a year. Uh, it's legit in some cases. Uh, we've seen, like, some people will say that there's acids and oils that will, like, uh, eat away at bearings and stuff. I have never actually seen proof positive of that especially in modern oil i would right. say that if we were talking about paraffin based oils from the 70s like a pennzoil or something like that maybe maybe we would be worried about it um you are worried about the vehicle being placed in a spot where it would uh, get hot and cold hot and cold because then there's condensation and there yep. would be so i think it's always wise especially if it's been sitting in a spot even in a garage that's covered, but maybe not necessarily temperature controlled, and it goes through hot and cold, hot and cold cycles. Uh, changing oil is not a bad thing. I, I, I hate saying this, but just change the oil. You don't necessarily have to change the filter. You don't. You I see don't, what I'm saying? Especially like on, yeah, the, on right? newer synthetic oil. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Even know. though I know people would crawl down my neck for that, I don't care. I'll just say that. I wouldn't. Do I? Yeah, because filters are cheap. It doesn't cost that much. Right. That's right. the thing. So all this is a balance. With that said, the oils are getting expensive for sure. For sure. But it what is, is what it is. 
Yeah, that's the thing, right? So a bike that was $5,000 when I was a kid is now $15,000. The oil is exactly that, right? That much more expensive. That cr- oh, God. So then coolant. Back when I was younger, fuel was only 99 cents a gallon. <laughs> coolant can be a thing that degrades. A lot of people don't. They're like, oh, it's coolant, sure it's coolant. Does. But it is getting, literally, it is getting boiled and not boiled and boiled and not boiled under pressure over and over again. Heat cycle, heat cycles, heat. And it's contacting so many different contacting. I just I like said contacting. contacting. I like that better than contact. Way sexier. Contacting. How do you contact something? <laughs> well, if you touch it, you contact it. So if it is hitting so many different spots in an engine, whether it be aluminum or steels or plastics or whatever, I, it is not. It. I feel like the coolant of of all the fluids, it probably goes through more hell because it changes. It's it's. I don't know about what it's cl- in. It's it's, it's it, touching aluminium, then it's touching. Rubber, then it's touching plastic. Yeah, uh, the oil is still because the oil is getting crushed by gears and it's getting smeared by pistons. Smeared. It's got clutch most of the time. Yeah, the clutch clutch particles that are going into it. Back to the beginner's reserve. Yes, exactly. And it's getting hot and cold and hot and cold. More like whereas coolant, it's it its temperature progression is usually a linear thing. And I don't. Anyway. We can go into the minutia of that. I just feel like, again, if you're doing a good job, you change that once a year. But a lot of manufacturers will say once every three years or something like that. And it's yep. like, okay, fair enough. Have I changed the coolant? And my So this is, seriously, like, am I going to preach what I'm doing? Yeah. I got to think. I think I went three years on, the, on my Honda. I find myself teaching somebody something, and then in my head I'm like, I should do this. I should probably go yeah, on and yeah, do this. Sure. <laughs> no, for sure. So definitely with hydraulic fluids. I'll give you an example of the extreme, which is working on a freaking AMA, sorry, Moto America Superbike. That we're we're bleeding the brakes every week race weekend. We're changing the oil, which was like this crazy Motorac 16 weight oil that you could only 16 weight 16 weight. It was like pouring water. Wow. And it was worth a lot of power. I'm um, sure. So that as you can imagine, you, you want to get that out often because mm-hmm. it's so thin. Uh, on the other side of the spectrum, when I was back at Graves, and it was a super stock R1. So right. we're, we're, both of these are R1s, and they're both within the past 15 years. Similar engines. Similar revy motor. Yeah, similar. Four-cylinder, same born stroke, or similar enough to where, right, there's, there's apples to apples here. We would put the engine in with oil in it, and it would go 2,500 kilometers either all of the season or part of the season or get taken in and out a couple times with that same oil in it and never get changed. Wow. That in that era at that time. Was this the same 16 weight oil or different? No, this would have been whatever we were sponsored by probably Maxima. Got it. uh, Or mobile one. (laughs) We had one, one of the crew chiefs spent a whole weekend testing oils and found that the mobile one that you could go get at Costco uh, made the most horsepower, so he just used that. That is an at awesome, the time on that, that bike, level of nerditude that I. It was well. really interesting. He had he was in there all like testing wow. every oil he could get his hands on, and finally just was like, "Why not? I'm going to go test this." And like just yesterday, I was in AutoZone buying tranny fluid for my truck, and I see mobile. They sell motorcycle oil, and it was either AutoZone or or what is the other one? O'Reilly. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, O'Reilly. So I thought that was interesting that they're catering. And there's a lot of tools in these auto parts stores. Absolutely, Straight up, there's more than you would expect. Certainly more than when I was a kid. Yeah. And you couldn't find anything at auto parts stores that was worth <laughs> anything for working you on. went to a Napa in a dark CD board. Yeah, well, that's seriously, that's true, right? I remember that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah, that, that oil thing, eh, eh, yeah. Uh, what else would you change? Uh, hydraulic fluid, 
yearly maintenance. Those are the main things. Tires. Okay. Let's tires. talk about tires. Tires. You commuters who ride on the same tire until it becomes a car tire. Let's not even go there yet. I don't want to talk about car tires on motorcycles. No, the dark I've side. I've seen it. Oh, the dark we'll side. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah. I know some of you listeners are dark siders. Yeah, I don't want to know about it. I know that's your Let's fetish. Just, I don't even want This is not a house where we kink shame people. <laughs> what the f- I mean, I'd I'm, try I'm right now rubbing my forehead when I'm saying I'd this. try it. I'd, I'd get a D-Alvin and put a, t- a car tire in it. Let's do it. Fuck it. I would. That'd be worth the I'd practice. want to see what it's like. You know what? We're doing that to the album before. <laughs> okay. I'm good. curious. Uh, we should take it to the drag strip. See if we can do better times or worse times. I, dude, time. I'd be scared. I don't know. I would too. I don't know. Well, I guess you got to test yourself every once in a while. That's a really oh interesting one. Yeah, so straight up, a lot of the people we're talking about that are riding their tires to the bone, they're making car tires as it is. Yeah, absolutely. And that, they're commuting. And, you and know, then, you're not carving canyons no. when you commute. Well, no. unless you're lucky, but yeah, probably you're not. Nor you're like me and putting a freaking super, super soft golden tire on. And I'm just, br- I wasn't expecting to do as much riding. My, my truck broke down a couple, like a month ago and I'm riding a lot and I'm burning through this tire and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to have to get a new tire. Anyway, so yeah. that's a bad deal. Uh, you should definitely do that as far as age limits. That is an important question. And so I, this, I've, there is a continuum with this. And that would be if somebody has a temperature-controlled garage, it's never in the sun, they put their bike up on a stand, their, tires, off the tires. Yeah, their tires are not on the ground like yours in your garage, uh-huh. I will absolutely let tires go years. Like really? Years. Yeah, I guess it's not going through. I, I, and I have literally ridden on them. I, a good example would be the Multistrada 1100. 1100. Oh, my gosh. The air-cooled one that I uh-huh. had. So I got it with tires that were date-coded probably five years prior. Like OEM tires. No, <laughs> but they were they were old. And I ran them and ran, and they were wonderful. And they worked really well. And there was, really? no, there was no dry rotting or cracking. So you've got to know how to look at tires and say, hey— these are old because there's dry rotting, especially at the at the area right around the rim that flexes the most when the tires are too low. Mm-hmm. You'll see that often. And then some old tires just crack everywhere. But we don't see that as much with nice radials in the past couple decades. It's not that common. So you just got to keep an eye on that. You got to stick your fingernail in there and say, hey, is this thing turned into a bowling ball? Sometimes they do. Sometimes but it's, it, again, it depends on the tire manufacturer. And it's me knowing not only knowing what to look for and how to deal with it. But I also feel that there's a fair amount of privilege in my ability to just head out and kind of gauge traction. And, and that, so say, saying this to somebody that is a beginner, right? That's not necessarily good. No. Right. So no, because you've got, you've got hundreds of thousands of miles under you in so many different conditions on so many different kinds of motorcycles with myriad different kind of tires on there. All of it. Right. All yeah. of them. Right. Yeah. So you, you've dipped your toe in every pool when it comes to motorcycles, tires, conditions, et cetera, et cetera. So I often find myself, and it's funny because when I say this, especially at the dealership, I have to like yeah, preface it with like, listen, hey, yeah, I know I'm a dealer. I know that I'm a for-profit business that's here to sell you things. But if you don't know and you have questions about it and you bought a bike with a tire that looks like it's 10 years old, just change them. Yeah. They're your only patch of contact to the ground. And... If you're not a Quentin Wilson-esque rider who has that much experience, you probably won't know when it's too late. Like, you won't know what that... That's what I'm saying. Right? There's a privilege in that that's tough to... It's tough to gain that experience without a lot of miles. I worry because a lot of people... I mean, we still get... It's so funny to say this in 2024. But we get a lot of people who are like internet, you know, forum warriors 
Yeah. And not even warriors. They're internet forum readers, and they yeah. go on there and they could be lurkers. Yeah. And but Joe they Schmo, saw that you know, Joe Schmo. I, and, yes. and we get it all the time. Well, so and so said, you know, if the tires looks like such and such, it's fine to ride it. Well, is so and so going to replace your fairings when you if you wreck it because yeah. of that? Like they paying your hospital bills? Right. You you need to. Yeah, I wasn't even going that far with it. You need to make that decision on your own, and be held accountable I, to that decision. That is the level though that we're talking about here. So there'd be one thing for somebody to say. We call it the common and most common denominator, right? The lowest common denominator. If you if you know the least, you should ask the questions, and hope that. This is actually an important thing, I think. You should hope that the people that are giving you information yeah. don't have their own prerogative. Right. right. A dealership wants to sell you. Or that you make the prerogative clear. You say, hey, listen, right. it's it's in our best interest to sell you tires that are not date-coded from 2015. Totally. Right? Right. But I need to give you the information so that you understand that I'm, I'm being authentic here. I'm. I, yes, I want to sell you new tires, but I also don't want you to get yourself hurt because I want you to keep coming back. Right. right. So – if you're looking on the continuum of, of costs and what could hurt the bike or what can hurt you, mm-hmm. specifically with tires, brakes, suspension, those are the things that you want to keep. Like, is it critical that the engine doesn't seize? Yes, but is running the engine oil for a few thousand miles more than what the factory recommended going to blow it up? N- not generally. No, not not really. generally, no. right? So yeah. it would have to be an extreme case, and you would have other problems going on, like but I was saying with shifting or yada yada before that would happen. You would right? know. You would. So kind of looking on the continuum of what is dangerous, and that's why tires, as expensive as they seem, they are not. They're not. And they haven't really increased as exponentially no, as the other things. No, So a good set of tires is probably 400 to 450 installed or maybe five. Yeah, maybe a little more. 500 installed? Yeah, I don't know. Because you have, you have certain shops, the cycle uh, gears of the world, some of them will install your tire for cheap. Like, really on the cheap. Yeah. Like, Though it's a loss leader for them. They're trying to make is. a little bit of profit off the tire. Right. There's always and they're going to sell right. out of volume. Right. Yeah. But, again, my world is a little bit different because I work with primarily Pirelli buyers. And yeah, yeah. That's more expensive rubber. But yeah, and, can, and people that don't even sweat. They're like, yeah, I want the new. I want totally, fresh. Yeah. Right. But they have the privilege to be able to do that because often they're wealthy. Right. 100%. Mr. Six Figures Panagali rider who can afford a set of brand new Super Corsas doesn't care no although it's funny because even in our shop we're like hey man i've never seen you at the track on this bike you're primarily riding it on the streets to be with your friends maybe let's talk you out of the super courses because yeah while they are the BGs, oh my god that's a whole nother world yeah like you don't need these tires yeah well, that's that's a whole nother world in fact i would say it's more dangerous it's super like i want to see people with street everything yeah. Yeah. that are riding on the street people right? ask me why i don't put super courses on this on the street fighter because i do ride it at a group at the track but like tire Tire manufacturers and technology has gone, gone such a long way where I feel confident that most, not all, but most decent brand sport bike tires are better than average riders' capabilities levels. Huge amounts. Right. I can even take a set of uh, whatever the Michelin. Dude, I've seen you on knobbies on the track. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I will say this. Pirelli MT90s. Seriously, on an adventure bike? Love them. Pirelli MT90, yep. not MT60, nope. maybe, but I think it's MT90. Remarkably good on a on an adventure bike yeah. on a track. I, I have a memory of Q doing <laughs> knee on the ground turn. All right, so <laughs> that said, Michelin Pilot something or other. I know that there's a bunch oh, of it out there. But I had, like, Jamie was like, what do I put on my F2, uh, F4i, F4i. So 
years ago, 2020-ish, maybe even 2019. Like pilot road pilot fours or something. I, it probably was fours. It might have been fives at the, whenever, whatever it was. And recently she was like, wisely, she was like, you know, these tires are really old. But they're like, I'm sorry. It, it's been in your garage. You don't – that doesn't spend a lot of time outside. No, no. We, we ride a few times a year. Don't, don't worry about that. I'll put my fingernail in it. I'll go ride the bike. I'll make sure the tire pressures are good or, or show her, and then we're good. Right. And I don't feel it's necessary. If she was like, I'm going to start doing track days, then maybe we yeah, would have that maybe. discussion. But then those tires would go on my bike, whatever bike that is, right. straight up. Absolutely. And I would burn burn them to the ground, right? I've, absolutely. <laughs> Good video of you doing a one-handed burnout while drinking something. No. Uh, uh, water. Oh, um, uh, yeah, water. <laughs> hydrate or dihydrate. That'll be our, our motto. Um, no, I mean, honestly, a, a decent set of – I can't believe I'm saying this. God, maybe it's the I'm gonna be 45. Old man, yeah, old man, of, old man says a decent set of sport touring tires will do. They honestly will do fine. I've mm-hmm. done track days on a decent set of sport touring. Especially tires. now, we're yeah. we're decades into some pretty good tire technology. Yeah, most of them are multi, uh, um, you know, compound. Yeah. And, they have soft enough stuff on the side, yeah. remarkably totally. so, because a lot of people that are doing sport touring, you know, haul ass. Even those of us to do adventure riding, we go faster than you would think a large uh, wildebeest bike can go. Uh, one thing that's fast. interesting here in Oregon. 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 Somebody, here, Oregon. Oregon. Somebody said that to me today. I was on Oregon. the phone with somebody. I like, like Oregon. Oregon. All right. Oh. Yeah. It's a lot better than the Oregon with the Oregonian. Yeah, I see this bumper sticker. I'm an Oregonian. Okay, Um, bro. (laughs) So, in the eastern Oregon, we have chip seal. And there's a lot of places in the United States that have chip seal. Fuck, we have that here, bro. Up in Skyline? Yeah, I guess there is. So creepy. And and so it is. It's very creepy stuff. Can you explain chip seal to the non-chip sealers? All right, so you got asphalt, which is whatever aggregate that's kind of gooey and black and right. they lay it down and it lays smooth it will have sharp spots but generally it's smooth right concrete which is slab most highways are made out of that because yep. it has uh, fucking lines on there for hydration hydration, hydration. it gets hydrated hydro hydro yeah, maybe dehydration yeah, you're trying to dehydrate dehydrate or dehydrate but it's temperature stable or oops or should have been more i just dropped how something. did you drop a drink and not spill a drink drop I think there's a little wipe over here. Hold I'm on. Impressed. I'm impressed. It was a party foul, but not like that much. Not of really, one. it was, was like, like the smallest, like not even worth what you just did. No, nothing. Okay. Literally right. nothing. All right. Well, it's because it's mostly done. Um, so chip seal is they lay down straight up like an oil of some sort. Right. Some gooey, sticky, long chain hybrid hydrocarbon. Great goes, for cars. And then cover it with what they call chips, I guess. Right. Mm. I don't know if it's. Like, like quarter, fishing chip qu- chips? Quarter, quarter minus minus. It's really, <laughs> and in Eastern Oregon, it's white often. Yeah. It starts off as a white aggregate for whatever reason. It's like I instead don't, of putting salt on the ground, this is what they're doing. And then it beds in. Right. Right. Eventually. But there is not much spookier than being on, there's so many really good twisty roads in Eastern so Oregon. So many. And they are epic. And when you're on one of these that oh, you're. Your you, front tire moves about a foot the wrong oh, way. It's creepy. You think going over a tar snake is creepy? No. Nah. Like a hot tar snake the tar on. tar snake's only maybe an inch and a half or so wide. And, you, and it gets, you do slip. Totally. For about an inch and a half. But that's it. Oof. This is like a consistent slip. And there's nothing. It, I love it because I'm used to it. 
but but it's super creepy and then there's different levels so when you get on one of these roads because they'll just do a stretcher road yeah so you turn off from one of your favorite roads onto yet another one of your favorite roads <laughs> and it's it immediately you know you put your foot down to feel the, the right. how much roly-poly is under <laughs> you and they're like ooh, that's not so good i'm just going to take it easy and then you take it easy to the point where you like then you can feel it hazing you get a rhythm and that's it then you're like okay that that needs another year or it could be a season sometimes it's just a hey if this is happening in june but often in eastern oregon they can't even start doing stuff like this until the middle of summer because it's high desert and it's cold right? right so that is a really interesting dynamic i was taught by our good buddy andrew cox he makes cox radiator cox guards racing radiator parts. guards yeah he's and awesome he, he is old school rider one of the most accomplished motorcycle riders i i have encountered right and he and i spent a lot of time about a decade ago maybe 15 years ago he and i rode in eastern oregon a lot just the way life worked out and where we both were and we both had ducati sts he was he on has he does and i still have my st2 thousand miles on it right? yeah his is his and i we both like i think he was like he had eighty thousand on mine and mine <laughs> mine i had 140 on it and we both mine was tired and we were just on these old freaking sts just blasting through eastern oregon some good pictures from that era he taught me this he's like heat cycled race tires at least from that era late 90s early 2000s okay wear way better on that chip seal really? so they don't eat up as badly but if you put a fresh set of sticky anything and you go up you could burn a set of tires up from here to baker city and back baker city if you look on the map is on the other side of oregon yep maybe not all the way to the border of idaho no but but, but it's a long way and it's a lot of time on the side of the tire if you do the right roads right and you, i have absolutely burnt up a set of tires doing this and you're like f Right. Whereas heat cycled race tires. I'm sorry. Did you just censor yourself? I did. I don't mind. This is, you know, the show is rated explicit. <laughs> what Quentin meant to say was fuck. <laughs> Fack. Uh, so uh, that's the thing. And he, at least here in Oregon, I don't know about like the chip scene in Texas, which there is, it's different. And, but there's not as many twisty roads. So no, no, it's, you're not even, there's not like a, even there's close. There's like a posted speed, 60 miles an hour through this curve. Yeah. Times two plus 10 for a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> um, I didn't know about Chip Seal, and then I moved here, and then my first ride, my first real ride, was with our dear friend Christian Hansen yeah. through Skyline Boulevard, and it's like, this road looks fine. Why am I sliding? Yeah. And I was on my Multistrada 1200. Remember when we saw that bike, and the chain was, like, sagging by about five <laughs> inches? That was one of my first interactions with you. You're like, yeah. Hey, hey man, is that yours? Can I take a picture of it? Because I've never seen that before. And I'm sitting in my head like... This is your OG. This is my OG. This is the one you came yeah. here with. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I my do. 2012 I barely remember that, but I've been like, hey, man, you got it. Maintenance, were, maintenance. Were, maintenance, maintenance, basic maintenance. Listen, been riding for a long time, but it's easy to get used to. Actually, this is something worth more than the story I was going to say. It's so easy to get used to the depreciating maintenance level of your motorcycle yeah. vehicle in general because we as human beings get used to chronic pain, even if it's our motorcycle's chronic pain. That's true. So yeah. if your tire's wearing down and it's becoming a you're block, like, you're like, yeah, it just handles funny. Yeah. And then you put a new set of tires on there and you go to make a turn and the bike you almost like, just almost dropped something's the fucking, wrong. Like, what yeah. is up with the tires on it? <laughs> Do you guys fuck with my tires? <laughs> So it's easy to get used to that, and it's the reason we have these conversations is to take away the the normalcy of the bullshit. Like, 
to get you comfortable with the idea of rolling your sleeves up, no matter who you are, even if you've been writing for 20 years, to not get comfortable with the, I don't, want, I don't know, status quo of your motorcycle shape and realize that your safety depends on it. And it's important to have these small conversations about, hey, man, did you, when was the last time you checked your tire pressure or your yeah. chain? Because, yeah, when I moved here from Florida in 2015, my bike had 12,000 miles continuous on that same set, of, that same chain. And when it came here, it was so loose that was like it was hanging. Mm-hmm. And you saw it. Just you walk past it. I mean, at the time you were the Sam for Ducati North America, and you walk past that bike and you were like, holy shit, mm-hmm. which idiot is riding this one? <laughs> and then when you saw it was mine, you're like, hey, is that yours yet? Do you mind if I take a picture of that? I'll never forget this this interaction. I was like, why? Because you were like, I've never seen that before. <laughs> that has taken that chain to a new level. And in my head, I was like, yeah, it's pretty cool, huh? And then after yeah. you walked away, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> is he saying I fucked up? And then at the time, our our brappy little stepsister, Hannah, used to be the service rider at Motocorsa. <laughs> and my one of my first interactions with her was her literally grabbing me by the ear and taking me to that bike and being like, hey, man, yeah. you see this chain? No bueno. Yeah. We got to fix this. And I was like, okay. But it was like a a set of peers who I just met going, hey, hey we're concerned for you. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Not, I'm not just trying to like, sell you a chain just, here. Yeah, you're not yeah. just like fucking with me, but it's like, hey, dipshit, if you don't take care of this, it will cause other problems that will maybe even cost you a $12,000 motor. A lot of people don't even think, oh, there's no way. And I tell right. you what, I I've have seen it. I have seen it. Yep. It is incredible to watch. Oof. And, and it's incredible to have felt this <laughs> circa 1994 honda vtr 250 honda vtr 250 oh, what a this is, bike this is this is me what a bike like in high school level or just out of high was school. this your bike oh yeah huh. yeah um 90 degree v i was in the 90 degree v twin double overhead cams before it was cool man <laughs> for sure um Such so a hipster <laughs> i the 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 way this worked was that bike, I think, came with a, let's call it a 520 chain, maybe, something like That's that. That's a baby chain. It's a small chain. Right. But because something was screwed up with the local parts guy, they put a 428 chain, which is Whoa. really, really small. Yeah, like a mountain okay. bike chain, essentially. And I remember there was PVC pipe involved to shim the sprocket. And I remember being, like, my brain at the time was like, that's not right. That's some grassroots shit right but there. But I was young enough to not know. I yeah. didn't know, right? And it worked. And I needed a chain and whatever. I threw that chain again through because it was 428 non overing, so it was just oh, yeah. like it got ate up super quick, right? right? And I was on a corner. I was going from Texas Avenue to 2818, <laughs> and I'll never forget it. It was raining, and it, that was the only thing that saved my ass. The chain threw, and it locked the rear wheel. Yep. Right. It didn't just throw and fall out. It bunched up. It stuck at the at the front, and then the but the but somehow some way the chain kept on the rear chain wheel. And and locked the whole thing solid, and I fishtailed into the grass Ooh. and and stayed up. Wow! And, and I remember stopping and being like, "Wow!" Right? <laughs> I, I think by that time I had already crashed that bike a couple times. I was definitely a little skippy. I was a full fucking skippy. Oh yeah, full we were all skippies, skippy. man. But def- I was on a level that m- most people probably have. Squid haven't skippy. Yeah, for sure. 
Squippy. So um, anyway, managed to keep it up, and and the chain miraculously did not get thrown through the engine case. Wow. Whereas I have a a friend that worked with me at Alta. I feel like it was a higher power bike. Oh, yeah, for sure. It can be. Or more mass to the chain. Right. Maybe it was a good thing I had a cheap shitty chain. (laughs) They saved your engine case. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. (laughs) You know what I was eyeballing is the 530 chain on this Harley race bike. I'm like, hmm, maybe I'm going to have some spares for my. That seems juicy. (laughs) Some big old 530 (laughs) chain. Just this motherfucker again. Because <laughs> I, because for the longest time I would keep five twenty chain. We'd cycle them out, and they'd oh, yeah. still be okay. I'm a cheap, I'm a hoarder, and I'm cheap. You're so, you're frugal. I've been running used DID chains from Graves Motorsports from 2005 for for years. That's right? amazing. And and the guys at Westby are like, do you do you want these? I'm like, hell yeah, I want Absolutely. these. Absolutely, right? I want these. And they're 420 chains. Because they're done one race or, weekend. Like, what the fuck? That's the deal. Like, whatever <laughs> they are. Is 420 the normal, like, race size? Whatever it is. I can't remember. 520? I, I keep thinking 520. It's 520, not yeah. 525. Right. Anyway, so I have those. But if you put that on an adventure bike, then you just burn through them quick. Yeah. You do need to have the proper size chain for what you're trying to do. Correct. Right? Do you need a lightweight chain for your – no, you don't. Does it make it accelerate a teeny little bit? I'm sure it does. Absolutely. But, but do you need it? No. Yeah. Hey, my name is Paul Torres, and I'm here to show you how to do this. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> um, another question that comes up at the shop often is, do I really have to do this like break-in service bullshit? Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. I would say, by and large, yes. Can you explain why? And like, what is okay, but, what, what is but, the difference between a motorcycle straight out of the factory versus the, the lube job you get afterwards? Yeah, this is the thing. In the modern era, a lot, I'm going to assume, the vast majority of motorcycle engines that are put in motorcycles have been run, whether it's on a Spintron, which uh-huh. is an electric thing that basically bolts to the motor and then spins it, just a simple to, like motor to just spin without it, the chassis. Without maybe even running it with right. with gas, just to spin the engine. Interesting. Or they've run it. And I don't think that that happens in mass production because that... I don't think there's But you can imagine somebody assembles a bike or an engine. Right. It's at the end of it. They have a very specific set where it just gets put into a thing, coupled to the Spintron. Bzzz, done. Right. Huh. I'm not sure about that. I don't know who does what. I don't think I ever saw that at Ducati. I'm not sure. I mean, all the, all the new bikes that show up have literally zero no odometer. No doubt. Yeah. But that would be the way you do it, is that you're spinning it, and you're not running the bike at all. The no. odometer's not, you know, whatever the triggers for the odometer's not being triggered. Wheel spin and all right? that. Right? So you, would, you can imagine that happening on the engine side of things with certain manufacturers, or it could be like Honda or Yamaha is just like, they, they've, don't have to sweat. Is the Spintron the first time that motor gets a... A sort of a lube cycle that would be the thing how are they priming the oil pump right right so yes that's I, i'm there has to be some mechanism for them to do that otherwise the bike gets put into a crate sitting for who knows how long yeah gets to the dealership but that's why the pdi experience is a high level thing for a technician to be able to go through you can't just sick a little skippy on the pdi nope. because you are running it for the first time these things need to be checked you need to make sure it makes oil pressure all that stuff oh, yeah. coolant and all that yada yada is the break-in yes you absolutely do need to be mindful of it are most of the break-in procedures extreme? Yes. I feel like most of the time they're being overly cautious. And my worry with that and what I've seen over the past two decades is people are too cautious and then the cylinders glaze. They're, so, not, they're not like revving it enough. They're not giving right. enough heat. Or, or not enough load, right? 
and that you're you are trying to avoid going too much. Yeah. Right. So that's a tough one, and it depends on the mark, right? So if you're if I'm buying a Honda thousand, I will take the bike and I will take it to a racetrack. Really? I would take because you're taking it through all the loads on the racetrack. That's the thing, and I would just be I would stage it. I would be like one session. I will stay at eight thousand RPM, and again, I have the privilege of being able to go pretty quick without having to worry about right. revving the thing out. I'm gonna just be slow. I'd be like, hey, I'm just gonna be the back marker for this session. But I'm gonna. It's great because then you break in yourself. You're breaking in the day. You're breaking in mm -hmm. your bike. You're shifting because you're breaking in the transmission just as much as you are the engine. The parts in the engine that you're quote unquote running in are mainly the rings, the piston rings to the piston or to the cylinder walls. Are you breaking in the cam bearings? Hopefully not, because that should be an oil. <laughs> people laugh, but it's right, a plain bearing. Right. There should be an oil bath and they should be an oil film. There's certain stuff that you're not quote unquote breaking in. The rings, absolutely, because they are literally scraping oil away. And that's one of the major things that you're doing. You're betting in the clutch a little bit. And then you're you are probably polishing a lot of the uh, transmission gears. Is something that might be in 1990. So this is a Ducati shop in Los Angeles in 1999 to 2000. I think it was there till 03. And we dealt with the press bikes for Ducati, for That's right. for Moto Guzzi, and for Aprilia. And I got to experience firsthand having the bikes in the press fleets get run in by press and they didn't run anything in they immediately <laughs> went hard those bikes every single time were the best running and longest lasting of like i i had to do the valve back in that era you had to do a valve adjustment at six thousand miles Oof, on a ducati geez. on a 996 Ugh. which is really it, you go through that pretty quick right, right? especially out there in perfect weather where you can yeah. ride all year everybody's going up and, and okay, we angels crest highway calls bro uh, and it was right there pro italia uh -huh. is literally pro -Italia's. a mile from it maybe that, yeah. maybe like anyway go to the shell station fill it up and go up can you imagine my life like me little skippy like there's skippy q, skippy q in college station ducati texas shop. and then there's skippy q i wasn't that much older when i was at pro italia did like, you ever have to like do a like like a longer ride on a customer bike did. and run it through you'd be like Gonna go to Highway Two. Be right back. Yeah, <laughs> the old I'll never two. forget it. A silver MV Agusta 750. I remember it very clearly. That was one of the few oh, where I, I was like, the organ pipes. I have to go longer, and 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 I had to test. I'm doing this for a customer. <laughs> <laughs> I am what they call uh, a humanitarian. Yeah, oh, I even remember the customer. What a cool thing. Anyway, so I had a we had a really cool test loop and Highway Two going down. Like you could see Glendale. You oh, pass yeah. by the In and Out. Oh yeah. I'd go to In and Out on the. Oh, uh, yeah, you would. Interesting. Right it's under the underpass, right by Pro Italia. What a life, man! I I do. I'm super privileged. I think about that era and that time. And yeah, there's always problems. There's always issues. It was of always. But I I was really fortunate to be as young as I was to to learn from John French, the old the old crusty Still mechanic. There. No. Not there. I, I could have sworn I saw him last night. No, time you know who's there, though. Ooh. Mark Maidens, who was the main tech when I was at Burt's Motorcycle Mall. Holy shit, Burt's Mega Mall. Uh, yeah, he was there. Is that still around? Oh, it has to be. Huh. It's one of the biggest dealers in the world, right? Literally by, like, yeah, square footage. Yes, like Walmart. I don't know what the fuck it's it a, is. It's a Target. Yeah. A Target. A Target. Anyway, so, yes, that era, I, sp I saw a lot of, of especially weird bikes that had weird mechanical signatures, not your normal Hondas, Yamaha, Suzuki, right. four-cylinder, inline, yada, the yada. weird-ass Ambiogusas, Bimotas, Ducatis that at the time were super weird. And, and a little bit rougher, I will say that. A, a Guzzi from that era 
was definitely like it, it was just a big old air cooled two valve twin. Yep. And they had their own issues, but any one of those bikes, man, they were all really good runners, like noticeably cleaner, and they had better throttle, crisper throttle response. And yes, we were maintaining them, and that helped, but that was when I started learning it, and then racing. So I learned, like, super close in with, a say, I raced a 125 Honda two-stroke road race bike, right? 14,000 RPM. Wow. 40-something horsepower. Gnarly. All the power is somewhere between 12 and 14,000 RPM. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so because of that, I had to then learn. I had to the point where I had stuff called A-Kit. Or no, I was using B-Kit. In the racing world, especially at that time, you would have, say, in the Grand Prix level, the Grand Prix 125. Right. And if you were just a customer person, you'd be way back in the back. If you were a little higher in the in the rungs, your engine would be equipped with a few little parts, and they'd be called B kit. Huh. And then the A kit was like the factory or near factory level. Actually, like that the- eventually would get patterned by aftermarket people. So then you'd get access to the patterned A kit parts, huh. right? And I had this one piston and ring set that was so gnarly that I would have to check it every fifty kilometers. Why? Because the the top of the piston would pinch down on the ring. If once it got heat cycled enough, wow, and it would cause the ring is to, that just from expansion and the heat? Yeah, it was. I mean, fourteen thousand RPM is a lot, and depending on where you check, oh, this is going into too much. Depending on where you had your squish set, <laughs> and this is the squish between the the head and the piston and the RPM, and potentially if you were running, it's like I was running something called a det counter detonation counter. Have you ever even heard of it? No. Do you know what a knock sensor is? Yes. You've heard of that in a yes. car. It's a thing that's sensing knock. We were tuning so finely that we were sensing knock, and I knew how many detonations per kilometer that I could do. Wow. That's how I was jetting. And I had a dual-stage detonation counter that would know if I was on the needle or the main jet. And I was... Again, we can get off into the mission, but that was a gnarly thing. Fifty kilometers, like I, I would fifty kilometers. I would is do nothing. a session and then have to check the ring, but it would make it made that much more horsepower. It's like thirty-two miles. It it was, it was the difference in that realm of being in the front or not. You had to have wow. some of these because there, I was one hundred and thirty-five pounds, soaking wet. I was the skinniest you can imagine. Like I was this height. Oh yeah. But I was racing against mostly kids and or very small people like Nobi, who were maybe That's one. Nobi san to you. Yeah, Nobi san. <laughs> maybe 110 pounds with leathers on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I had to have. You got to shrink down as best as you can. Yeah, for sure. And, and then you had to have a little bit extra power. So if it went from 41 to 42 horsepower, which, you know, it made a difference. It's a tenth of a second. <laughs> right. In each little corner. That's right. So I learned then break-in stuff you start paying attention the way inter- materials interact whether it be nicosil uh lined cylinders with aluminum pistons or ni- tie nitrided fucking gold uh, uh piston rings mm-hmm. then building all the ducati engines over the time and racing the 848 and even now i just put a new engine a 351 windsor ho i my tell truck, you what and i have to heavy duty i output but it's old. this is old tech yeah. even if it has Quasi new, whatever it is, hyper eutectic The same shit they use in the 60s. It is ancient. Yeah. This is freaking Pennzoil era, right? And the guys gave me, uh, I bought the long block from a, a local engine builder. Right. That has been in business for like 50 plus years. 
and I gave them my long block. I t- traded in. It was awesome. I, they had this exact engine, which is a bit of a weird one. That's the so cool. That's so cool. And they gave me this oil, and it used to be called Kendall, and we sold it at Pro Italia. I, I, but it's not called Kendall anymore, and I had this long conversation because oil fucking matters. Is Of course. In, in, in a lot of cases, it doesn't, but in this case, it so does. So many forums have running, just been overrun with the oil conversation. It's a, it's a pain in the ass. So, But to run this engine in, I'm going to go off of what these old dudes, and you should have seen the amount of Ford love this place <laughs> had. So much Ford love, which you you want that. You want the people that know all the weird ends, like going to Motocorsa. You want the people that know all the minutia of all the failure that's modes. Right, that's right. And all the positives. For, for old regal drivers. Right? It's the way it goes. So, anyway, uh, I am now in the midst of breaking that motor in what matters more than anything heat cycles right get it hot let it get all the way cold get it hot let it get, do that a bunch of times as yeah. many times as you can but Bef- tell people at least do it six times at least before you go give it the beans on the track right. as long as you do the heat cycle part of it for whatever reason and i can get it after disassembling and reassembling engines enough i can kind of understand just the the hot and the cold, the things getting hot and cold, and the various parts coming together and you know, whatever. It makes sense to me, right, yeah. before you give it the beans. And then also making sure that when you are, especially in the break-in stage, never accelerating hard or under a heavy load without oil pressure being good. So letting the engine run for at least a minute yeah, just and making sure that all the oil is in all the right places before you take off. And I, that goes through the whole life of the bike, but it's especially critical uh, at the beginning stages. I find myself firing the bike up and then putting the gear on. Just gives it a time to warm up and do Within its thing. Within reason, some of these bikes, I don't necessarily like to have them idle. I, I personally don't like them idling too long because then stuff loads up. Especially, yeah, yeah I, I, you just got to be careful. I've, but, I've, I think but, maybe but putting the, the, a gear on is fine. Right? Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I know my pace at putting a gear on, and it goes from saying low to saying a number. Yeah, which is Like it's registering sure. now. Yeah. What what do you think is the worst thing you can do? Top three worst things you can do when you're braking in a motorcycle motor. Uh, sustained high RPM, like getting on a highway and just going, like straight up. Like even if you just go to 65 and you put it in top gear or you put it in fourth gear and right. just, just hanging out there. You're Why not, is that bad for it? I don't know. It's just not giving it its various levels of RPM range. I guess you, it's not it's not varying load. Yeah, that's the main thing. Uh, and also, the you are literally just sticking it in one gear, and you're trying to break in all the gears. Right. Right. Seriously, that's a huge part of it. You're not using the clutch at all. You are literally just putting it at a specific load for a really long time. Is it horrible? No. But if you were doing it like properly, you'd do a step test where you'd get it at, I don't know. 4,000 RPM, and you'd hold that steady state for a minute, and then you'd go to 6,000 RPM, and that, that would be what you'd do on a dyno. Right. You'd step test it, but you can't do that on the highway. Sure you can. Just, uh, officer, I'm yeah, trying right. to break this motor in. Do you not understand how a step test works? Yeah. So that would be the one thing. Getting it too hot, giving it too much too soon and during any acceleration event, because it's not just the RPMs, it's the load. And when I say that, I mean like going up a mountain pass. Don't overload it. The let, and I'm not saying let it freewheel. One thing that I was taught a long time ago, and I have implemented this, is after the first little bits of, once you get it up in the RPM a little bit, the off-throttle RPM shut off in the corners. For some reason, I have been told, and I don't know if this is a husband's tale or not, <laughs> but it 
helps bed in the one 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 of the types of rings. So like negative load because it's giving apparently the the pressure in the crankcases helps to spread the rings out. I don't know if that's BS or not, but I like it. Really, the best of advice I ever heard was ride it like you're going to ride it generally, like how you will ride it. If yeah. you ride in high RPM, get it to that point fairly early on. That's why track days are good. So I broke in my 1098 Street Fighter on the track. I broke in my, well, frankly, I broke in this this uh, Africa Twin. I, I had a thousand miles on it when I bought it used, and then I literally, we we did the deal. That's right. I mowed a course on, right. on on Saturday, mm-hmm. and I think I was on track on Sunday. You were, and I was happily, it was already quote unquote broken in, so I didn't have to do anything other than get it warm. And boy, has it been a good runner. The 1098 Street Fighter, check the valves at 6,000 miles before I sold it, fine. Yeah. Right? My 848s, I run them, like, as soon as I build them, they get run pretty hard pretty quick, right? It's so funny. We found out on my my Multistrada 1200 Pikes Peak, I got it to 15,000 miles pretty quickly. And I'd done a bunch of track days on there. And when we checked the valves at the suggested, I think it was 12,000 or 15,000 mile range, Kevin, our master tech, when he looked at it, he was like, yeah, they're all still within yep. range. This last iteration of Testostrata Evo mm-hmm. heads from, so that would be anything from the 1098-848 on, that that head style has been extremely well sorted. Whether yeah. they, they got the out. oiling correctly. So there's a lot that goes on with desmodromic valves, which we can get into on another. That's a whole court, other episode. But they have figured it out to where it really is pretty good. The 848, you definitely have to keep because you're revving the shit out you're of trying to build power, right? Those you still have to pay mindful. But what I would, what would happen with me is I would just break half rings. I wouldn't smear cam lobes and I wouldn't screw up the wow. cams or the, the rockers, but I would break half rings. So then I would, and this is with extra tight closing clearances. So if, I'm probably speaking way out of turn here, but anyway. It's neat for, I think, even for uh, non-experienced people to hear this because it can get very, very complicated. It can, yeah. And I think part of this conversation is how do we make it simplified layperson's terms so that the average rider who went out and bought their first motorcycle, they got a Honda Rebel 500. Yeah. What to look for, right? What to do to make sure that that Rebel is maintained and functioning at its peak performance all the time for you? You know, what are the basics? And that's why I'm asking questions like, what are the worst things you could do while you're breaking it in? Because if you're lucky enough to go buy a brand new whatever motorcycle, you have to do the break-in That's process. a start. You, you have to take it out and ride it. And if you live in beautiful, curvy roads, lots, lots of mountains, west coast, you got all kinds of options. Yeah. If you live in Texas where it's just straight lines forever and ever, you got to exercise differently. You right? got to be choosy about going down which country road and knowing that okay, I've got to tur- I've got to shift down a bunch of times and turn here, and then mm-hmm. shift down a bunch of times and go turn here, right? Or find the curvy roads or go to t- trail your bike to to the hill country. <laughs> How would you describe load to somebody? Low 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 load to high load. Just um, simple terms. It. I guess it's so intrinsic to it, right? Isn't it? I just know it's either high speed, so air pressure against the bike, or um, climbing a hill. Yeah. So just imagine what your personal body would be doing if you could run 60 miles an hour 
you'd be loading yourself up. You, what is that test they do where they put the, the VOX the or VO2 thing. or something like that? Imagine that. It's a similar thing on a motorcycle or a, or a car for that matter. So you're going up a hill, that puts a load on you, right? Going down a hill, it doesn't, right? You just coast more or yep. it's easier. So I would say consider that. If it, you, if it feels like you would be stressing yourself by doing the thing that you're doing, going 30 miles an hour down the street isn't doing much stress work, right? No. That's just a trot. Yeah. Would you say first gear is lower load than sixth gear? Yes, absolutely. But the scary part of the lower gears is that you can accelerate really fast in them and get over the RPM limit quickly. So if you're trying to stay, say your motorcycle revs to Mm 10,000 and you're trying to stay at six, it's a whole lot easier to go over that if you're in the lower gears. There's more torque. Right. Yeah, I know. We we always try to tell people, hey, if you are on the highway at let's say 60 miles an hour in sixth gear and you need to pass somebody, don't just open it up immediately. Kick it down a couple of gears. That and actually is load. a very notable thing as far as load goes is that you are not necessarily, you're lugging it in a, in that term. You can hear the motor struggle. It just goes, yeah. right. And that's hard to explain that to somebody that might not know. Right. And that you need to row through the gearbox or you might be on a bike that you need to say, for instance, if I'm on my Africa twin, I, or any Ducati, pretty much. Yeah. You don't have to do that. Yeah, because it has loads of torque. It, right? It already is in the rev range, or it's more constantly, or the torque curve is very flat. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're on, a, say, a Tenere 700, and that was my biggest problem with one of those, is that you have to go click, 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 and then you're wringing its neck, and <laughs> yeah, that's the way it goes, right? So it, some people like that. They'd rather have that. I don't want that. I want torque. I don't want to have to think about it. I just want to go. It's lazy. It's straight up. It's lazy. But that's why I love big twins, for sure. That's oh, I love them for that. They're so linear. You can just get on one and go ride and not think too much about it. One bike that I never had to break in, Alta Redshift. Oh, it just <laughs> electric, man. It's electric motor, one little moving part that does the thing. Yeah, that said, there, there's a gear reduction on a lot of electric motorcycles, but it's two meshed helical gears, at least on that one. You don't, you don't really need to do anything. No, no it's like if, if you had to break something in, it's, something is really wrong with one of those. So interesting you bring up the Alta. I, uh, I'm going to change. A Is it pivot time? It's pivot time. Swing arm I'm gonna pivot. S- I'm going to switch gears here. <laughs> Swing arm pivot, you know, a little, uh, little pivoting point on the kickstands. Um, I just read that cake motorcycles. Are they motorcycles? Cake e-bikes? Cake $14,000 mountain bikes? I, I don't. That's a tough one, and I think that's a part one. of the, the – the issue. Yeah, the, right? the confusion. Where do you fit a, a bike that isn't... Uh, it's not a, quite a motorcycle. Yeah, it's not where, quite a mountain same bike. Same with the Suron. Yeah. So right. I just read that they just filed for bankruptcy. The cake. The cake. But you just posted a cake video earlier in the week. Because they're kind of cool looking. I'm talking about your cake. Yeah, that, oh, that's my cake. That's my <laughs> personal cake. That is never going out of business. There's Why are you making of, it weird? Plenty it's of one of the best videos you've ever done. <laughs> Seriously, I love it. Plenty of cake to go around no, Go to Motocorsa website and look for just a, a video of somebody getting off of a Diablo. Yeah, and all you see is cake. freaking Shaheen we got brown double cakes. cheeked up on a Tuesday morning. <laughs> you know what it was? I just bought a new pair of uh, pants, and somebody at the shop was like, Damn, dude, you got some cakes in that. <laughs> and so always trying to kind of switch things around because <laughs> yeah. I saw some another e-bike company recently put up a video that they sort of, you know, partnered up with some dude. And it was very like 
Boys it was the do most, this. The, the girls most do this. Toxically masculine. So fucking bullshit dumb. that you've like, ever seen. Like here we seen. are. We're trying like, to expand our world, man. Stop it. Yeah. So anyways, I was like, fuck it. Let's let's show some cakes and let it be a big brown guy's cakes. And then the, <laughs> at the end of the video, I just look at the camera like, stop being weird. Yeah. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it right now. It's so good. Um. So <laughs> my cake not going out of business. Well, at least not filing for bankruptcy, but cake. E-bikes. Well, I, I and you know you're going to get the immediate because this has become a politicized hot button issue, which is electric anything. Right. It seems that has been co-opted weirdly by uh, the conservative side of people. They're like that it's bad, right? Except for those who are fan people of the the dude that runs the Tesla. Ah, uh, Mister. So, Mister. I'm going to go to the moon. Right. Whatever. So. It, this makes it odd in our world that this has to be like, oh, you ride electric. That must mean you are blank, blank, blank. Or right. same as I would do to some person that I see with a lifted truck that, that doesn't use it as a I truck. I only have problems with lifted trucks that have low profile tires on yeah, them. Like, what I, are you doing? Make up your mind. Okay, fair enough. I get it. That's actually really good. That's a good way to it's be weird. like, okay, low profile tire. Looks fucking ridiculous. We call those bro dozers. Yeah, they are. Yeah. There's other there's other terms, but then it makes fun. Keep it friendly. Keep it. Yeah. It's explicit here, but you know that yeah. explicit. that's not good. <laughs> so anyway, bad deal. Um, but that's the thing is that often, and I just was experiencing. Have you this. ever priced one of those cakes out? No, not cheap. Yeah, no. That, but that's the problem. That's so, the problem. Whereas the Suron, which I think is a, is that the name Suron? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about, yeah, I do. right? I don't know them that well. I haven't ridden one, but they look like mountain bikes on steroids, right? And so they were kind of like this in between e-bike which would be like go down to the bicycle shop buy a mountain bike that has e-capability right it it still has the pedals does the Suron have the capability? i don't know i don't think it does i don't think it does I either think, i think it's just that's the differentiation right. where you it's almost like going from moped to motorcycle right where you got the pedals e-bike and it doesn't and it's a motorcycle same Correct. with the cake i would assume the cake doesn't have cake, pedals. no cake you still have to register it's still a registered road vehicle but it's not does it have does it street registered does it have yeah. lights Yes. Okay. I didn't even know that. They have like little race ones that don't, but yeah, yeah. they have ones that do. So if you see one, they look like, I don't know, a Lego builder kit from the 80s. I thought they were I ugly feel like they as sin. Ikeas. They look so... I, they were not... Well, for me, they just didn't appeal to any part of my anything. Like, I don't... It's almost like the Tesla truck where you're like, okay, I understand why that's cool for some people, right. but I it looks like a trash can to me. It's and I don't pivotal and weird enough to make you talk about it. Yeah, and that was... How idea. usable is it? But it, And it was based out of Sweden, right? Yeah. So it had... Oh, yeah, it's weird. Like Erlen, it had the Erlens on it. It did have Erlens so on it. So then it's super expensive and... $14,000 for that it, thing. Which... How much was a... An Alta, Alta. full out... First year was fourteen thousand or yep. something like that, and then they went. They had. They knew they had to. Yeah, they had go to, to twelve five or something like that, right? It's and that was them. seven, eight years ago, right? So we're looking at this now. But I, you know, I don't know where we're at in the continuum of inflation and bicycles and motorcycles and whatever else is out there. I'll give you a weird number. The average new car price currently sits at forty eight thousand two hundred dollars. Wow, that's the average. Yeah, we, I was just dealing with a Toyota tundra that had a fuel tank poked poked so that it could be drained of its fuel oh and like i had a to newish look up, one yeah a 70 something grand it was easy and i didn't and if it's a trd pro it was forget about it it is it was it started at forget 70 forget about it and and it's what we've been towing the boat with and i you know i'm like oh this is a nice truck i hate it because it has <laughs> so many like like it 
if I have the door open because I'm trying to back up the boat. It tells you things. And it doesn't want me Bing to bong, go. Bing bong. And it won't let me. It, the yeah. it puts the brakes on when I'm backing up a trailer. And I know there's probably ways to block all that shit out. Is there? But it's it's certainly not a 1984 F-150 HO. No, high, you know, they're in 4x4, right? It's, it's got a starter. Yeah. It's a no. switch. There, there is a continuum of technology, luddite for me, where I'm like, wherever that break point is, and it seems to be about year 2000, where I'm like, <laughs> no. But... Toyota, I mean, it's a great running truck. It's fucking fast. Yeah, I don't, it'll last I forever, I think it's a I'm V6 sure. with a, a turbo. It's a turbocharged six. It is. Like, I didn't know that. I thought it had a V8. No. And and I we had to look it up. The sound isn't even because it's so good on the inside. It's a car. It's a These car. are all just it's cars. It's a luxury car. It barely has any bed. It's a car you can buy and not have to pay luxury tax or fuel surcharge tax on. Which is a truck. Which is horrible. I yeah. tell you what. It's a truck. I tell you what. All right. But it anyway. gets like 20 miles a gallon for a big truck. So we're going off on a tangent, but the bottom line is shit's gotten expensive. Yep. Like a truck like that should not be. But it is. That's where we're at. But the thing places. of it is, a lot of vehicles that are expensive tend to have a a sort of a functional and form thing going for them, right? Like even if you're buying that 70-something thousand dollar Tundra, you can say, cool, well, all other half-ton large trucks that are built like this are going to cost, give or take, about this much. Yeah. But when you're buying this Again, this is just my opinion, so take that how you will. When you're buying this weird vehicle that fits somewhere between a mountain bike and a dirt bike, and let's say it's street legal, but it costs yeah. $14,000 because it's got the fancy Olins. I get it. And it can't have that much range. It can't. The battery's yay big. It was small. Right. Knowing what I know about my Alta, if I put Motard wheels on it, I know that I could zip around town at 35 miles an hour and maybe get 20 miles. Right. And that's... It's meant for like this like cheetah-like speed for like cheetah-like yeah. pace. It's more like I go out to the Tillamook Mountains and I ride for 30 miles. Yep. And it takes hours because I'm going through mountains, right? Yeah. And it's awesome. And then I never have to adjust valves or clean an air filter for years and years and years. And all I have to do is change brake pads and tires, and that's it. And I've only had to do that once because it's really light on tires. It's an amazing experience to own electric. Is that cake possible? Sure. Because sure. then you'd have your around the town. But there's that break point of range yeah. and cost right. that just isn't there. You Say you like the look. Say you like the freaking Lego sure. look. Totally. Great. Fair enough. It is kind of fancy, and maybe it gives you status of some sort. What I saw was years ago. It's been years. They've been out. I first saw it. I'm like, eh, a few friends-ish industry people maybe. Mm -hmm. I can't remember who it was. Someone that wanted to be... They were in it. Weirdly pivotal. No, no but I was saying they were in it like as marketing people or whatever. Oh, and I'd okay. see them post and I'd be like, that just does not even, not even a little bit do the thing for me. I have no interest in even riding one. Sorry, right? And the same with Energica. It's another bike that was like, we're talking... Thirty-five to forty-five to fifty thousand dollars, and they've right? come down quite a bit because of that. Yeah, and now they're like twenty-four, twenty-five. And huge kilowatt-hour packs that oh, yeah. go. They could go like a hundred miles, probably. Easy, but and fast, bitching. I rode one, it's great. But is it something that's going to make me replace? No, no. It and that's where we're at. Is like if that cake thing was the one that you'd get the wealthy person that already has a few toys and they want the extra. Fair enough. But how big is that market? Obviously not enough for what they're doing. And that's I think a perfect point because I feel like cake. In in my view, it seemed like they were trying to appeal to a specific buyer, and that specific buyer is like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of people. Yeah. And so it's hard to have this product that's going to hopefully succeed because, frankly, if you're trying to succeed in that level, either it has to be incredibly amazing or it has to appeal to a 
a large enough crowd that will actually let's call the word let's use the word invest in this thing to make it successful and frankly the e-bike e-motorcycle realm i think really relies on the idea that you are a fan of the electric movement right you're the tesla slash polestar but, uh, slash- but that's transcended it in bicycles it's turned into utility that's the thing somebody like me that does not get enough exercise but isn't completely screwed right can take an e-bike and pedal up sandy ridge with my buddies who are on non-e-bikes yeah and i can make it it gives you a crutch then we bomb down because that's what the fun is is to go bomb down (laughs) and i still get exercise if i choose to i can i guess i've never ridden one you can you can choose you choose okay mine i would love to oh that's right it's a ducati so then you could um Adjust the tension to where it's like, hey, I yeah. want to get my little bit more workout, whatever. And that's the beauty of it. That's you, an awesome you thing. Can have an, you can have a utility vehicle. And now it's like when you – frankly, Ducati's is not the most expensive or cheapest, but it has the fancy Ulins and all that yeah, shit sure, on there. Sure, sure, And that one is like – retails like 8200 bucks. It's not the it's cheapest. It's not 14000 It's not 14000 No. Wow. Okay. I don't have to register it. And I can, and, and if I leave it in like eco mode, Ducati claims seventy-two miles of rideability. That's pedaling. That's pedal slash but in an eco assist. mode. Okay, because it's, it's a pedal assist. Yeah. So I'm getting an exercise. I'm out there doing the thing and not making noise and not bothering anybody. And and it's set up that I can bomb down any hill. It's it's a it's a true downhill mountain bike. It's got all the suspension travel. It's got all sure. the suspension travel. So, so that's the same goes with the Saron, apparently. Right. Right. They look like they actually can do the thing. And now there's an aftermarket. So they've hit a Swedish Swedish spot. The cake, <laughs> cake didn't fit the Swedish cake spot. Didn't, they should have. <laughs> they had all the rights to be Swedish as hell. <laughs> so in that case. I don't know. I, I mean, for me, it was like, yeah, no shit. When I saw that, I was like, yeah, fucking, of course. Same here. And I wasn't surprised. <laughs> I was bummed for them because I, yeah. I want them to succeed. But it's like, you guys really, like, try to be so extra specialty that y- you just made it where a fraction of a fraction of a fraction yeah, of people too, will be like, few people. Yeah, that's for me. I've literally seen one person ride one in Portland. I've never... One. I've never seen one. One. I've seen one. I don't think he's I've one ever of my seen clients, one in person. And he wheelies up and down the street all the time with it, which is really cool. Looking Good for actually. him. Absolutely. Yeah, super cool. And now he has a rare thing, much like me in an Alta. And, and was Alta a similar case? Yeah-ish. Ish. But that's a whole different, that's a whole different. Alta life. to this day, I will maintain, is one of my biggest heartbreaks in the motorcycling yeah. community. Because well, you can imagine what that's so, Well, I mean, for you, I didn't even work there. You did. But like as a fan slash owner I believed in the product because it seemed like they turned the motorcycling, especially the dirt bike community, around. It allowed me, someone who's not a dirt biker, to have a cheater. Were, were you – there was one time where we all rode at Jordan Creek. Yeah, I was with you. Were you on an Alta? I was. Okay. I will say this. That was my Alta. That that was an EX, right? Yep. Th- this was a situation where we ended up in this area called Jordan Creek. And normally, not you wouldn't easy. take – People that don't know what they're doing, or that are even like I generally just don't take too Dude, many people out there. That was my first dirt bike, and, and being with you was my second time riding it. And and he got up some of this shit that stymied me when I first <laughs> came out like 15 years ago. This was literally the first place I ever rode, right. and we were going up some shit that I was like, it was crazy to go because I can now I'm I can get up it. Yeah, you can flatten but it in your mind. When we now. got up to a couple of the spots, I'm like, man, poor Shahizi is gonna be. Oof. Freezy, Pachisi. buddy. My favorite Persian's about to get sideways. Oh man! But then you would just come up because straight up, the bike let me. The bikes 
do it is a bit of pressing the easy button. It is. You it still really have is. to have a specific amount of skill. You. So I was very impressed that you were able to do it, even with the easy button. Right. Fair enough. And it was really cool to think, man, this these spikes have so much potential to get people to do the thing. Yeah. But like even trying to like, I don't want Jamie to to learn on that because then it's the easy button. You're it's not the only thing you can. You're really not ride. learning the skills you need if you get put on a, a piston engine bike. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The people so that buy dirt bikes and put recluse clutches on them? similar yeah. <laughs> yeah no it's similar i because but i i don't enjoy those at all no. like i like riding those i do not like it but I, you know i the irony is I that it. i'd rather not have that but the alta i'd, I'd be mainly because i have my brakes on the bars i don't even have any brake pedals i didn't even right? do that and that was going to be my next thing i'm sure yeah. and then COVID happened and i had to get rid of it nah, i'm very <laughs> sorry about that sad i miss my alta it was a good grid bike and it's like the saddest uh story in motorcycling to me so we recorded for an hour and a half. Okay. I feel like we covered a lot. It is. We're done. Um, any other thoughts? No. I'm I'm vacant. You After vacant? that, it's like a brain dump. Is, you've, been, you've been going hard? Yeah. Well, me too. I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of work in a good way, a lot of new things. The year's starting, and we're getting kind of amped up. Last week was some nice weather, and everybody thought it was spring. So it was the first fall spring. It was, we'll it get was a couple first, more. We we'll get a couple more of those. Yeah, and then before you know, it's real spring. Um, if I could give you any piece of advice as a dealership who has a fully staffed, very busy service department, as we are approaching March, because right now it's <laughs> you know as we're recording, it's February sixth, and before you know it, March is going to be here. That's how adult life works. Shit just happens quick. Boom, boom, done. March, boom, April, boom, May. If you are not competent enough to do the things we just talked about, the basics of it, frankly, I would do what Q said. Get on YouTube University, figure some of this shit out, the basic shit, just the basic stuff we talked about today. But if you are dependent on your dearly beloved dealership and you want to come give us your business, and I hope that every dealership will do the quote-unquote right thing and take care of you and maybe even walk you through some of this stuff, do it now. Don't wait till the flowers have bloomed. Don't wait till the sunny days get more and more frequent because everybody's doing that. And chances are, if you're in the northern part of the country, some of us are doing, you know, service specials because it's slower business. We need to build more time because, frankly, for my little dealership from April till September, good luck getting in. It's a month and a half waiting list. Good luck. So I would say, A, learn to do this, some of this basic shit on your own. It'll make your life so much better. It'll make you more intimately, you know, knowledgeable about your motorcycle. You'll love your book more. You'll yeah, love motorcycling more. Yeah, it's half the reason you and bought the thing. You ironically, because a lot of people are like, I don't like that aspect. Of right. It. I don't want to do that. And fair enough. It's like all things that are like fear or ignorance based where you're like, you, you fear what you don't know. Right. Then, then once you do know, you're like, ooh, this makes the experience a lot better. I agree. And I mean, I know some of you listen to this podcast in the garage when you're, you know, tinkering with your shit. And I love that. And I want to invite more of you to do that. I think it's really, really necessary. And that's coming from someone that makes money at a dealership if you come to me for this shit. But I promise you, as a fellow rider, you're better off learning some of this basic, small things. And I know I'll do my part as a dealership to invite people to teach them that stuff. And I hope other dealerships that are listening will do the same. But don't rely on them to do that. Just get on YouTube, 
ask a fellow writer who's been doing it for a long time. I'm sure you got a friend or a neighbor that's a gray-haired writer that's been doing it for 35 fucking years. If you want a, a, a recommendation for a good YouTuber, Ooh, go, it would go, be go. Ari Henning. Dude, he uh, is a genius. It, seriously, out of all the people that have been doing, yep. and he, I think he gets into some of this minutia. He's a, yes. he's known as the chain guy. He like does. the one time I cleaned my chain and it was like pristine, I like hashtag posted the picture <laughs> of it because he does such a good job of advocating for that. Yep. So anyway, that would be one person. I know there, there are others out there. Actually, you know what? Email us. Tell us who do you listen to. Yeah. If you are an experienced motorcyclist and you follow somebody, I'm curious to see who you would. Because uh, I don't want anybody that says noob on anything. To, no, I'm no. not going to follow anybody. Empower. Right. I'm here to empower. I'm here to take away the gatekeeping bullshit. Yep. We're trying to normalize this thing, right? Just like we talked about previously about mental health. If you talk about it, it normalizes it. So motorcycle maintenance and the zen of. We got to normalize this <laughs> and shit. And be, be prepared for that book. You're not that. That's its own. That's thing. its own thing. Yeah. Don't that's don't assume that it has much no. to do with it. But it might be worth reading. <laughs> But I'm just saying read. that's not what you think it is. But it's it, not right. Let's teach you the basics. You know, check out Ari Henning. I think he's on Revzilla uh, or something. There's some garage thing. I know they have a channel. I don't know. Yeah, look up. Look the, him up. Yeah, he's awesome. We'll, we'll even him. we'll probably even tag him on one of our stories. Great dude. He's a he's a phenomenal motorcyclist and he's been riding since it was a kidlet. Uh, but he is like Quentin. He's very technically uh, uh, brilliant and can. Talk about it in the simplest terms. Stop it. I'm just trying to get laid later, bro. Stop it. <laughs> I did think of something. Okay. If it's very, I, I'm just going to look quick horn toot here. Okay. I was published by Car and Driver magazine. What? And I, I'm pretty stoked by it. If you got, it's on their website. I mean, in this what? day, in, in this day and age, it's mostly just web-based stuff. I didn't even know this. So my, my good friend, Alana share, who I worked with at Graves Motorsports, who is challenge her on various social media things. Cool. She has been at Car and Driver for a long time. She was at Hot Rod. She was with Roadkill, which was like a Oh, I remember Roadkill. Right. She was she's she is a hardcore LA car person. Cool. A, a drag racer. Challenge her for a reason because she had a bitch in Challenger. I think she still does. Anyway, she was like, hey. There's a weird and wacky car show that's coming up in Portland. Can you do this? I, I need somebody to be there. So I did. Is that so, why you were there? Yeah, yeah. And cool. so I wrote a little article. It's on Car and Driver somewhere. So the search weird and wacky, and it was an Avants, A-V-A-N-T-S. It's some sort of car club. I'm a member. Are you really? I'm definitely a card carrier. I'm not. I'm the sorry, card is, is made out of carbon fiber. That's funny. It's so good. Okay. Well, that's really cool <laughs> that you know that. So they, I don't know if this gets put up on the social media as much. She, I, I think Avant's put it on their Instagram yes. page. So you can link to that and, or just go to carandriver.com. Dude, that's so cool. I'm dying to read this. It's just a super quick, like she was like, can you do eight to a thousand words and take some pictures? And so I did. Awesome. And, and it was pretty good. Um, yeah, so there's that. All right, so get on Car and Driver. Look up Quentin's wacky. Weird and wacky weird car show. Weird wacky car show. I'm super excited for this. Um, again, write to us, webraptalk at gmail.com. Instagram's up, at braptalk, B-R-A-P, talk. I don't, I don't know why I didn't spell talk. You should know how to T-A- oh, <laughs> T-A-L-K. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm dying to hear what is it if you have questions on on maintenance i hope this episode helps you i hope it empowers you to help somebody in your little world of motorcycling and uh as usual quentin what do you say cheers cheers yeah jiffy stands up Mm. (laughs) 
Mm. Gotta love Don't test me. I'm gonna. <laughs> well, I say safety third. Make good choices and get the fuck out of here. Love you. Bye.